What's going on, everybody? And welcome to episode 55 of the Mental Dive Podcast, where we talk anything and everything sports psychology and mental performance. I'm your host, Taylor Staden. On today's episode, I am pumped to be joined by Ethan Hyder. Ethan is a Nashville Predators draft pick being selected in the fifth round with the 148th pick in the 2019 NHL entry draft. Currently, he is a starting goalie for the Clarkson University Golden Knights men's ice hockey team, where he was awarded NCAA ECAC Rookie of the Year. And throughout the course of the podcast, me and Ethan actually get into a bunch of different topics, but one of the really pertinent ones was the fact that he actually attributes a lot of his success in his first year of college hockey to working with a sports psychologist. Having somebody there to teach you how to mentally reset, having somebody there to help you get the most out of your practice habits through fostering deliberate practice and so much more. But one area as well that really stood out to me was the fact that in his first college game, he let up six goals on 20 shots. And while that might not seem like the ideal first game of your college career, and it's certainly not, he actually learned how to build from that adversity through his goalie coach and using self-reflection and figuring out ways to use this adversity and this information really to help benefit him moving forward and eventually, like I said, winning ECAC Rookie of the Year. So without further ado, let's send it over to the interview. Ethan, thank you for joining me on the Mental Dive Podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. Good. I, I appreciate that. Uh, so how's your season been? From the numbers perspective, it seems like you've had a really strong freshman season, but I'd love to hear more about uh, your perspectives on how your year went. Yeah, it was a good first year. You know, it was kind of nice getting the feet wet in college hockey. Uh, obviously, it was strange year, you know, not having, you know, a full conference, only having four of the 12 teams play, but you know, we made the most of it. And I thought, you know, our school did, you know, the most that they could to help us give us as much of a normal year as possible. And, you know, our, our team, you know, we really gelled with the fact that we knew we had a lot of adversities, you know, a couple different pauses throughout the year. Or so, but, you know, we, we made the most of it and, you know, it was a fun year and, you know, it was a really good experience and, you know, a great first year of college hockey. Awesome. That's good to hear. So I didn't know that you actually only got to play four of the 12 teams in, in your conference. How did that maybe rev up the rivalries? It, it was definitely different. I mean, it felt like it was kind of like being in the null again, where you're only playing the teams in your, you know, six teams in your conference and, you know, like playing the same team every, every weekend, like the games, you could just tell like, you know, not as many scoring chances, you know, we knew what each other were going to do. And in terms of the rivalries, I mean, like we played, I think Colgate nine or 10 times and, you know, you, you could just tell towards the end, you know, we just didn't like each other. And, you know, with Quinnipiac, we played them, I think, six or seven times, and we'd play them three in a row. But, and, you know, after, especially when we'd go there, six hours of travel, everyone just, you know, you beat up. And but we didn't like those guys either. But it was a lot of fun. And, you know, as, you know, different of a season it was, you know, it still felt pretty normal for the most part. And, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And just, you know, it obviously, you know, would have loved to play the other teams and got to travel a little bit more. But, you know, with what we had, you know, it was still good. Yeah, 100%. So you mentioned you got to play uh, Quinnipiac. I actually had Ty Smolanik on the podcast. It's got to been over a year year ago now. So it's nice to see a bit of a bit of a connection there. Yeah, so, he was a good player. It was fun playing against him. Yeah, no kidding. 
So Ethan, one way I like to always start off the podcast is I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background and, and your story. You know, like what got you started in hockey and what drives you to really pursue this as a career and put up with all the adversities along the way? I fell in love with hockey and the position of goaltending at like two years old. My parents took me to my first NHL game. It was the Minnesota Wild versus Colorado Avalanche. And, you know, I just, after that game, I just fell in love with it. And like my, I'd have my dad shoot plastic golf balls at me. And uh, I think at the time it was Manny Fernandez and Patrick Waugh. My dad was a huge Patrick Waugh fan growing mm-hmm. up. So that's the reason we went to the game. And so I, I would, those are kind of my first two idols, including, you know, I watched probably the movie Miracle like a thousand times. So Jim Craig was another idol too. Yeah. And then just, you know, like my dream of, you know, playing in the NHL and one day, you know, hopefully winning a Stanley Cup and just, you know, it's what I want to make my career and, you know, have a living in the sport and being able to play it and enjoy it on, you know, 40, 45 years old, hopefully, and, you know, be able to just, you know, live out that dream of, you know, playing in the NHL, you know, traveling the country and, you know, just getting those amazing experiences, like I said, hopefully one day winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah, for sure. And maybe even after those 45 years, there'll be that, that one guy in the beer league who, uh, who's like 80 years old and that, could you see yourself being that guy? No, I think if I were to continue after, I'd probably be a forward at that point. Not too hard on the legs, eh? At that point, I, I'm not sure. Plus, I think it'd be kind of fun to get into goal scoring, too. At, after at about 45, 50, I think I'd get into that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's funny. A lot of my my friends and people I know who were who were goalies and then transitioned into adult league after, a lot of the goalies actually turned into players. And I've always wondered why that is. Uh, I'm not exactly sure probably saving another hip or knee surgery at that point <laughs> fair enough fair enough so you mentioned it's your dream to to win a stanley cup you know like that was my dream as a kid growing up as well and i feel like it's a really it's a, it's a huge commonality for obviously a lot of kids and you actually had the opportunity and the privilege to be drafted by the nashville predators congratulations on that as well how did this event really maybe shift your mindset you know, like, like, was this a major milestone for you and a turning point? Or did you just find yourself having the same mindset as before? Yeah, I wouldn't say my mindset, my mindset shifted in terms of like, you know, how harder I was working and my determination to you know, make the NHL. But it was definitely like, it's something that like, it made me feel like, yeah, like I'm one step closer to living this dream and, you know, making it become a reality. And that was definitely a motivator. And it just makes it, you know, every single day, it just, you know, having that feeling of, you know, I'm, you know, maybe a little bit of one step ahead of everyone else in the terms of you know, having a team that has my rights. And it just, it motivates me every single day to work even that just a little bit harder because, you know, I realize how close I actually am and it's still a long ways away, you know, just being drafted is just such a, a small, you know, glimpse of it, but you know, just knowing that that a team really believed in me that I could play for their team one day, it definitely makes it, you know, super motivating and it just makes me want to work even harder and you know keep you know pushing you know, hopefully you know be on that roster one day yeah for sure and you mentioned how it's still even you get drafted but it's still such a long ways away and especially as a goalie mm-hmm. right like like goalies usually don't even sniff the crease until you're maybe in your mid-20s if you're lucky so it's definitely a long grind in that sense uh no doubt yeah for sure yeah so you get so you get drafted by the Predators, and you obviously the Predators have some awesome goalies in their system. Like you know, Pecorino is a legend over in Nashville, and they got a really good young goaltender and uh, Saros. What did you maybe notice about these guys from going to camp? Uh, I didn't get to meet them at development camp, and uh, I with college hockey can't go to main camp because of you know NCAA eligibility rules. Right, but right. 
it was nice. Like Saros texted me during development camp and, you know, was super nice. And, you know, he's a great guy. I got to chat with him for a little bit. And for me going to development camp, there was guys that are, you know, I think it was Dante Fabro and those guys who are already, you know, got a little bit of NHL experience, Rem Pitlick, uh, Rem Pitlick as well. And just kind of learning from those guys and seeing how hardworking they were, you know, it was, you know, coming from, you know, high school and the North American League, you see how much, you know, it really takes and, uh, you know, how much work these guys put in, how determined they are, how, uh, how like everything about their life is just hockey. And it gave me a really good perspective of what I needed to do. And, you know, what I also needed to change a little bit about my habits and off the ice as well. And, and on the ice and just, you know, being around those guys and learning from, you know, not only them, but the development coaches as well, and kind of getting their insight of, you know, what it really takes to, you know, be in the NHL because, you know, it's kind of a mixture of guys that did play in the NHL and have worked in the NHL for a long time. So just kind of getting all the advice from them was really awesome. And it gave me a lot of new perspectives and just, you know, taught me what I needed to work on and get better at so that, you know, I give myself you know, the best chance to make the NHL. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned how they gave you some really good advice and you noticed some of the habits you had to change um, off ice. What were some of the ones that stood out to you the most? The two that stood out to me and I felt like, you know, as a kid, I felt they didn't get pushed on enough. And that's something that, you know, kind of felt like I, I wish it was a little bit more was the sleep and nutrition side of hockey. Cause you oh, know, yeah. growing up, you know, coaches, it's always, you know, make sure you're the hardest worker on the ice and, you know, you're always, you know, first one on last one off. And I felt like, you know, yeah, that's obviously super important, big part of it, but also the sleep and nutrition part of it. You know, we had seminars, we have a you know, nutritionist that, I, you know, emails us every single month and, you know, I'm able to interact with her whenever I need to and worked with her a lot, you know, changing my diet and also working on, you know, my sleeping habits. And once I really started getting those in check, I noticed such a big difference in how I felt not only on the ice, but in the gym and just in everyday life as well. And just, you know, seeing how much of a difference it actually makes, you know, really changed my perspective, you know, cutting out things like eating out and, you know, making more home cooked meals, making sure you're getting more variety hitting all your macronutrients and getting, you know, the calories you need based on your, your goals at the time, all that stuff, you know, made such a big difference. And, you know, I'm really glad that I got it now and that, you know, I can keep continuing to work on it as I, you know, continue in my career. And, you know, it just, it makes that much of a difference. And I also think it also helped with the longevity of my career as well. Oh yeah. hundred percent. You know, people, you know, the, the sleep research is really starting to, to take prominence and, you know, some people even say that sleep, one of the most underutilized performance enhancing drugs, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, getting quality, consistent sleep, you know, having that bedtime, getting up at the same time. Um, and as well as you can actually even get apps, I'm not sure if maybe use one that track the quality of your sleep. And they, they tell you things like if you get up at certain times of the night, um, and really it's, it's interesting because like you said, once you get to this level and you start to notice all these different facets that you can use to help you pursue your goal and to improve your performance, it really just helps create that really well-rounded approach. Yeah. Like I, during the season, a lot of my teammates had these, it's called a whoop and I got one as well. And I, I loved how it worked and not just the sleep aspect of it, but just everything. But, you know, it tells me how much sleep and recovery I need every single day based on how, like, you know, stressful my activity was. And that was awesome. And especially, obviously it was a, not a full, you know, like 40 game season, like a normal college hockey year would, but just, you know, the stress of, you know, traveling six hours to Quinnipiac and then playing three games, you know, in three nights, just really prioritizing, you know, getting the right amount of sleep and, 
you know, including, you know, hydration as well. And just making sure you're fueling your body to make sure you're ready for all three of those games, because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can be taxing, especially, you know, third period at the end of the third game, you know, you got to make sure you're still at, you know, your peak performance and it's tough, but, you know, if you treat your body right, I feel like, you know, it'll treat you right as well. Yeah, for sure. And especially with goaltending being a position that's uh, a lot of goalies really rely on their on their flexibility and mobility. If you're not getting the proper hydration, nutrition, you're going to stiffen up real quick, especially if you're playing three and three. So for um, sure. Yeah. So so Ethan, you, you mentioned how you started to kind of realize all these different areas and how you can improve your performance. You know, one area that I believe is really underutilized, too, and maybe I'm, I'm a bit biased with this is the mental side of the game. So I'd be curious to hear your perspectives on the importance of the mental side of goaltending. I mean, yeah, men, the mental side, it's the most important part, I feel like. And I feel like a lot of goalies and goalie coaches would agree because, you know, I feel like your mindset can dictate so much and how you feel on the ice. And, you know, for me, I we have a team sports psychologist like Clarkson and I started working with him and uh, it got, you know, I was probably having an hour or so long conversation with him once a week and. I think when I noticed the biggest difference and the biggest strides in my mental game was after my, my first game this year, uh, I think it was six goals and 20 shots and I got the yank against RIT and I was, my, my world is falling apart after the game. I was like, what, like what just happened? And, you know, I felt, I lost so much confidence right after that game and I, we just worked together and just, you know, we realized so many things that I could improve on with my mental game. And cause I, I thought I had a pretty good mental game before that, but, you know, realizing you're working with him, you know, how much improvements I could make and, you know, just seeing how, like what opportunities working with the mental coach, you know, and the differences it made it, you know, once I got my next opportunity, uh, I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I just kind of knew that, you know, working with him and having, you know, a little bit of a mindset shift that, you know, once I get that opportunity again, I was going to be ready and I was going to be able to, you know, take it, run with it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And um, I'd be curious, what's maybe some of the biggest piece of advice that you've taken away from him? I think the biggest thing, it, it's a little bit hard for me to describe. It just kind of makes sense when I, when I talk about it with him is, you know, in the game, I, I don't like to really like focus and think about the game too much. I like to kind of yeah. have a clear head and kind of just let it, let the game come to me. Cause I find when I try to think about it, and this was a big thing against when I played RIT is I was thinking about a lot of things I was, and it makes me overthink. And that's when I feel like I make more mistakes and I make a lot of, you know, costly and simple mistakes that I normally mm-hmm. wouldn't make. So just working with him, it was about just making sure that I had a clear head. And when I say like, don't think about the game, like I'm still like analyzing the game and making sure I'm like reading the plays and everything like that. I kind of, I consider that a much different thing, mm-hmm. but in terms of just like thinking about like how the game's unfolding, you know, what's happening. I don't like to think about it. I like to have a clear head. I'm often kind of thinking about other things, to be honest. And it just, it helps me play better. I find, and you know, it keeps yeah. me calm. It keeps me grounded. And then kind of two other things we really worked on was, having like mental reset, a little mental reset throughout the game that if I felt like I was getting away from like, you know, our goal throughout the game, it's that I would just say this little phrase to myself and it would, you know, kind of just, you know, reset everything back to normal. And then also practicing with a purpose, you know, like having goal specific practices. That was a big one too. Cause you know, I'd go into a practice and be like, all right, I want to work on rebounds. And that was like, kind of like, that was it. But then working with them was like, all right, goal specific like all right rebounds but like rebounds in the sense of I got to make sure that I'm doing the same rebound every single time so like make sure every single rebound I'm having a purpose with it you know it's getting into the corner it's getting into the netting depending on the shot and the situation like really just 
like zoning in on one really specific part about the whole picture and just getting better at that. Yeah, I love that. And wow, you just unpacked a, a ton of huge key takeaways there. And I'm looking forward to, to breaking it down. So, so the first one you mentioned is that you don't like to, to overthink during a game, which makes sense because when we start to overthink, we start to think about things that we don't have to think about, right? Like you've, um, like, like you've been in your crease thousands of times. You don't have to start, you don't have to consciously think about the way you're skating or the way you're striding or the way you, you uh, use your glove hand. Like that's all, those are all well-learned movements that just have to happen. So when we start overthinking, it's, it makes us really lack that sense of trust in ourselves. And then, you know, let's say you'd like to have the puck come to you. Um, I know some of my, my clients find that if they overthink, they actually start to maybe be too aggressive on the puck and it gets them out of position. Mm-hmm. And instead of trusting really um, their game plan and what got them there. But the other area too, that I really like that you mentioned is the idea of deliberate practice, right. And, and practicing with a purpose because you know, you, some of the athletes I've talked to, even at the professional levels, they say that even at those levels, a lot of the players don't practice with a purpose. They just go through the motions and they don't have any intention with, with their, with their practice. So when we think of that, you know, have you ever heard of the 10,000 hour rule of to, to master yeah. something, right? So yeah. to actually that to actually master something, it's not just about getting 10,000 hours of practice. It's about, you know, getting a lot more hours of quality practice and, and deliberate deliberate practice to to have that intention to to get where you want to be so i really really like how you mentioned that because you know if we're just going through the motions and, and we ask oh how practice goes so like, oh, i don't know <laughs> right like we've all been there obviously but um no like like th- thank you for sharing that oh for sure yeah like, that was such a big part of the season and the success of it yeah yeah so, so you mentioned the success of your season and, you know, you posted a, a 921 save percent average this year as a freshman, which is phenomenal. So great work there. Thank you. Um, where do you tr- attribute a lot of the success? I think it's just like that mental, like mindset change that I had with our sports psychologist. I mean, like it made such a difference. And once I got my opportunity again, like I just felt ready. And as I kept playing more and more, like my confidence kept just kept growing and it kind of just snowballed from there where it just felt like every game, the net was getting smaller. And, you know, my, my teammates, you know, put a lot of confidence in me once, you know, I was able to start, you know, getting wins and everything. It, it just, everything made such a difference once I started working with him and making those little changes in practice. And like, obviously in the moment of that first game, absolute nightmare. Like I don't, you couldn't have written it, written it up any worse, mm-hmm. but like looking back, it was, I felt like it was such a great learning experience you know, just learning what, it, what I needed to you know, improve on to be successful at this level. It was like really good in that aspect. And, you know, I, I also kind of looked at it as a positive. It's, I still played a division one college hockey game. So even if it was the only game I played, which obviously wouldn't have been the most pretty game, but yeah. I still, you know, did something that a lot of people say they could do. And so I tried to take the po- as many positives out of that experience as I could. And I felt like that made it a little bit easier. And once I kind of got over like the, oh, like what a, awful first game like you know no one's gonna have confidence in me the coaches or the team or anything what is you know, what is national gonna think once I kind of got over that like everything it was all fine again and I just got back to work and it, it really made that much of a difference and I felt like it that was a big part of you know having the success that you know I was able to have this season yeah for sure and, and that really just speaks to the importance of learning from adversity and and, and our mistakes uh, because the way I kind of see it and there's this kind of phrase which I don't entirely agree with they say you either when are you learn? 
But the way I see it is whether you win or lose, you still have the opportunity to learn, right? We can learn from our wins because we can figure out more, okay, like what helped me get this result I want? So you can try to find ways to, to do that more consistently. But then there's also when you lose, you know, like what, what can you improve on? Like what areas made you have that poor performance and, and how can you use that information to, to guide your future actions for, for improvement? Is that maybe something that you, that you do when you reflect on your performances? Oh, for sure. And like when I went over the film with our goalie coach about that game, like he told me, it's one of those things where it's like, let's say you have a shutout in that first game. It's like, well, what am I going to tell you to work on? You just got to shut out in your first game. But it's also, you have to realize that it, that's not going to be every single game. So in a way it's not ideal, but you know, with having a kind of a stinker of a first game, we're able to pick apart and see, you know, what, what improvements need to be made. And at that point, it can only really go up from there. You know, it can only improve. So I think that was kind of a good mindset for me too to have. It's like, you know, this isn't going to be every game. Like I know what I'm capable of as a goaltender. I know I can have good games. It was just about making sure that I had that confidence in myself and just not let that, you know, the outcome of one game dictate how I let the rest of the season unfold. So that was a big part of it too. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So one area I'd love to kind of pick your brain in is I find it the dynamic between the maybe a starting and a, and a backup goaltender really interesting because your teammates, but you're also kind of battling in a way. And, um, you know, may, maybe sometimes it'd be healthy, maybe other times, maybe you experience where maybe it's a little unhealthy because of the, the competition. What do you think are maybe the differences in mindsets needed to be a starter versus a backup goaltender? And, and even more so, where do you think um, that dynamic lies, that, that healthy dynamic between the two? I think like with, when it comes to having the partners, like I've, I've had such great relationships with my goalie partners in both, you know, high school, junior and in college this year, you know, at a great trio. And it's just, you know, that battling and pushing each other in practice to be the best. And once you're in practice, it's that thing where like for a starting goaltender, you got to have the mindset of you're not going to give up at that. You're going to keep that net. You know, you're not going to let someone take it from you. And in terms of, you know, the backup, you know, if you're determined, you know, you're going to, your mindset is you want to take that net. And so it, it's, you know, a good, healthy battle, but, you know, you're both, you know, battling, you know, to, for playing time, because obviously there's only one net. So there's definitely that part of it. And like I said, like, I've never had a bad experience with my goalie partners. I know Akira Schmid was on the podcast not too long ago. I got to play with him for a little bit in Sioux oh, City. And unreal. It was, okay. it was awesome because you know, he had two good goalies that were battling for the net. And obviously he had a little bit of injuries when he came. So he wasn't you know, around too much. But when he was there, it was awesome because, you know, we were pushing each other and battling. And it brought out the best of both of us because we know we were both good and we both wanted to play. So mm -hmm. from that aspect, you know, it was, you know, it was a lot of fun and it was, you know, you know, made it a lot more fun in practice. And we just kept battling and we just knew that whoever was going to be in net that night, you know, it was because, you know, they were just the better goalie at the time, uh, you know, for that, maybe that we could practice. But I think, you know, one thing a goalie coach that said that I really liked in terms of the starter and backup mindset was, you know, would you rather be Robin or Batman? And in terms of, you know, like who's going to deal with, you know, more of the pressure, who's going to deal with the bigger battles, you know, who's going to rise to the occasion for your team when you when need it. I really liked that analogy in it's, you know, cause like, he's like, anybody can be Robin, but not everybody can be Batman. So that's kind of like the little mindset that I've kind of kept in the back of my head is it's a little fun kind of analogy, but I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And I've really liked that. 
I love that how you mentioned that you've had really healthy relationships with with your goaltending partners and you kind of have to use that as a way to, to push each other and and to really you kind of want to put personal interests aside for the betterment of the team as difficult yeah. as that can be when you're in junior because you know you might be trying to get a division one deal and you, and you want the net and but I, I think another piece that's interesting to the the dynamic there is that as a backup goaltender you might not play a game for know three weeks even sometimes months on end right like you mm-hmm. look at the Tampa Bay Lightning with Vashlevsky when he's rolling like McElhinney he's rarely seen the net unless they're on a back-to-back usually yeah so in saying that what are you kind of your thoughts on the importance of really trusting and sticking to your habits and your process as a maybe a backup goaltender I mean the thing is you know you never know especially like in a season like college hockey you know typically the starter they'll play almost every single game and, you know, 40 game season is in college hockey or if you're in junior 60 games, you know, if you're the, the main starter, you'll probably play 40, 45, 50 of those games. So as a backup, you just always have to be ready because you never know. It's, it, they're long seasons, you know, injuries happen. You just have to be ready. And it, it can be mentally, you know, taxing at times. And, you know, I, I had a stint this year where I, I, you know, didn't play for five or six games and it was definitely tough, but you just have to have the mindset that you're going to get better every single day and you're going to, you know, push and battle, you're going to do the extra stuff to get better and, you know, prove to you, you know, not only to yourself, but to you, you got to prove to your coach that you're capable of being, you know, the guy in the net. And so it's just having that, you know, mindset, you know, you're going to go out, you know, a little bit earlier for practice, maybe stay a little bit later and just work on extra things and just, you know, absolutely just battle and practice and do whatever it takes to keep the puck out of the net. And so that, you know, when you do get that opportunity, you're able to make the most of it and, you know, show, you know, your, your coach and your teammates what you're able to do and that, you, you know, you can be the guy. And, you know, if, you know, the, the starter were to go down or maybe not have a great stretch of games, you know, showing that you can be the guy that can come in and make that difference. Yeah, for sure. And, and being ready is huge there as well. You look at, take an example, a couple of years ago, Jonathan Quick went down with a season-ending injury and, Peter Budai, I believe he spent the last season in the American League. He ends up being the starter, right? So if he wasn't ready, it could have been really harmful for, for his uh, year. But he seemed to be ready because I think he put up a 920 that year and had like like 20 wins or something. So yeah. he, he, he stepped up to the challenge. Ethan, so I really appreciate your time and coming on the podcast and being really open with your experiences. And if there was maybe one piece of advice you'd want to give to maybe a young goaltender who's trying to pursue college hockey and make it to the NHL, what would you... Uh, say to them and why just enjoy the process I find that today with a lot especially you know with social media being a big thing it's always about trying to get yourself and you you know and a lot of times you know I see parents trying to get their kid as much exposure as possible like it just enjoy it hockey is you know an amazing sport and it's amazing you know life experience so you just got to enjoy it growing up because you know if if you have what it takes and you know you put in the work you'll get noticed you don't need to Mm -hmm. go to a ton of camps or try and get yourself noticed on social media. Just love the game, love the process and just enjoy it. And, you know, it'll just work out and, you know, for itself and, you know, it'll, it'll all work out in the end. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. And again, appreciate your time and best of luck as you head into the off season. Thank you very much. Appreciate for having me. One more big shout out goes out to Ethan Hyder for joining me for episode 55 of the mental dive podcast. It really was a pleasure. Now, if anybody out there is interested in learning more about mental training and how maybe I could help you reach your goals, please do feel free to reach out as I am currently taking on more clients. Best way to reach me, Twitter, Instagram, send me a message at Taylor Staden, that's at T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-D. 
D-E-N, and just send me the word mindset. That's all you gotta say, and I'll help you take care of the rest. If you prefer email, please do feel free to send me an email as well. TaylorStaden1, that's T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-D-E-N-1 at gmail.com. I'll include all this information in the description of the podcast for easy access. But regardless, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I'm looking forward to sharing another one with you soon. Until then.